Hi, my name is Tom. Welcome to the Scottish Parliament podcast and the second in our series of podcasts looking at the key issues that researchers from the Scottish Parliament Information Centre, SPICE, believe MSPs might face in the new parliamentary session. SPICE's full briefing can be read on our website. However, we're going to share some more highlights on the podcast over the coming weeks. We are living through a climate and nature emergency. How serious is this crisis? What can be done by parliamentarians? And what are the implications for Scotland? Today, we're welcoming two researchers from SPICE, Graham Cook and Alexa Morrison, to discuss this issue. Graham and Alexa work on SPICE's research into the environment and sustainability. Hi, Graham and Alexa. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. The climate and nature emergency is identified as a key overarching theme in your recently published key issues for session six briefing, alongside COVID recovery and constitutional issues. Can you explain why you see this as an overarching theme for this upcoming parliamentary session? So the impacts of climate change and how to tackle it have really risen up the political and public agenda significantly in recent years. In Scotland, we've nearly halved our greenhouse gas emissions in the last 30 years, but we'll have to more than half them again in the next 10 to meet our domestic targets for 2030 and to contribute to achieving both UK and international goals. Mm -hmm. So what we could call the hard yards of decarbonisation will therefore fall within this session of Parliament. And that's going to be a huge task for Parliament in the functions that it fulfils. Yeah, and you mentioned our our a key issues briefing um, and that's where SPICE set out what are the key issues we think that you know as parliamentary researchers are likely to be really significant in this new session um, and you know we looked at a number of issues in the briefing across subjects like infrastructure, economic strategy, food transport um, but when we talked about including the climate and ecological emergency we thought that that's much more thematic it really cuts across every policy area you can think of almost. So that's why we kind of set it out as, a, as, as an overarching theme. Mm-hmm. And, you know, tackling climate change, it's going to require transformative change. Um, and that will mean we'll need coordinated engagement in the parliament. So what we mean is that right across the parliament, we, we think we're going to need to be looking at the implications of um, these twin emergencies for the Scottish people. Thanks, Alexander Graham. Um, what, what do you think the latest research tells us about the causes and impacts of climate change? Are there any specific risks um, to us in Scotland and are we seeing any impacts now? So the causes of climate change are now well established. Excess greenhouse gases from burning fossil fuels and also from land use changes like deforestation are causing global temperatures to rise and causing long-term changes to our climate. Mm-hmm. We know that the average temperature of the Earth's surface has risen by about one degree Celsius since the pre-industrial period. Now, that might not immediately sound like a big problem, but even that level of warning causes a lot of disruption to climate systems, and impacts are not spread or felt equally or evenly across the globe, with impacts including sea level rise, flooding, heat waves, and desertification. Scotland's not insulated from those risks, of course, We know weather events such as drought, storms and flooding can cause huge disruption to individuals, our wider society and the economy. And we know that climate change is driving increased frequency and intensity of such events. We've also got to remember that this is what we would call a climate justice issue. So as a relatively developed wealthy country that was at the heart of the Industrial Revolution, there's a responsibility to reduce our emissions to protect vulnerable, vulnerable areas. 
for example, in the global south and less developed countries from the kind of severe impacts that climate change is causing. Um, you also referred to a twin crisis. What does this mean? Why is it a, a twin crisis? Yeah, so the, the twin crisis relates to the fact that there's a, a climate emergency, but also a, an ecological or a, or a nature crisis. Um, so recognition of that um, a climate emergency um, happened in, in session five through the declaration of a, a climate emergency by, by the Scottish government. And we saw the, the recognition of the need to seriously tackle climate change sort of escalated through the last session as well. Um, but at the same time, there were some really big landmark um, global reviews highlighting set of um, biodiversity decline as well. Um, so there was a landmark 2019 IPBES review, um, so quite a long acronym, but um, basically the kind of similar in stature to the IPCC reports, um, an intergovernmental uh, review of the sort of state of biodiversity. And that issued a, this really stark warning that, you know, nature's declining at unprecedented rates and that we really need transformative change to, to reverse that and also to, to restore nature. Um, so governments are really starting to take notice of, of that as well. And um, the Scottish government actually committed in the last session to a step change um, to address biodiversity loss. Um, and we know from sort of UK and Scottish reports, um, principally the State of Nature report, that we're seeing this same kind of issue as the, the sort of global um, concern about biodiversity decline in Scotland. Um, so there are key pressures on biodiversity. We know about things like agriculture, climate change, um, fisheries, urbanisation that are driving um, nature, nature decline. Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason that the climate and nature emergency are, get referred to as twin crises is that they're really, um, they're sort of fundamentally intrinsically linked. Um, so they're linked from the perspective that we know that climate change is actually one of the really big drivers of biodiversity loss. So if we tackle climate change sustainably, that helps with nature recovery. And sort of on the other side of the coin, um, actions to restore and protect nature have these really big opportunities to mitigate and help us adapt to climate change as well. Um, so the, the government published an environment strategy um, last year and that really recognised those links. And it sets out that scaling up things like um, what we call nature-based solutions to climate change, so things like peatland restoration and enhancing our wood woodlands, could also be, be really significant in delivering um, the, the goals of the, the, the Paris Agreement. So we've heard that governments are taking note of this and heard some examples of some of the things the Scottish government have been looking at. What have governments around the world in general been doing to try and improve the situation? Uh, Alexa referred to the Paris Agreement there. Um, this was agreed in 2015 under the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, uh, another mouthful. Uh, now, this convention commits countries to limit global temperature rise to well below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels and to pursue efforts to limit that to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And we talked before that we're already at one degree Celsius, so you can see the nature of the challenge. In November 2021, this year, the spotlight will turn to Glasgow, where the UK is hosting the 26th UN Climate Change Conference, which is known as COP26. 
At the international level, some key priorities for this summit include full implementation of the Paris Agreement and progress in areas such as climate change adaptation, because we know now that some level of climate change impacts are unavoidable and, in fact, are happening already. Uh, and also climate finance, that's about channeling investment where it is needed to tackle climate change. US climate envoy John Kerry has described the summit as the last best chance to avert the worst environmental consequences for the world. So there's no doubt as to the severity of the, the challenge we face. At the Scottish level, uh, and for the Scottish Parliament in particular, this brings opportunities to enhance climate scrutiny how the Scottish Parliament examines what the Scottish Government is doing on these issues and learning from international best practice, sharing our learning, shining a light on where we're making good progress, but also where we're lacking and we need to ramp up our efforts. Yeah, I think COP26, it's, it's also worth mentioning that that's really relevant to the um, ecological crisis as well. So, um, one of the UK government's priorities for COP26, in fact, is nature-based solutions that I was just um, that I was just mentioning before. Mm. So, looking at natural habitats and how you know ecosystems can be used and protected or restored um, to store and protect our carbon sinks. So, you know, I mentioned um, woodlands and peatlands before, but that could also be um, be looking at um, Scotland's kind of vast marine resources and, and habitats to to store carbon, um, as well as looking to COP twenty six. Of course, will will also in spice be following the outcomes of another COP plan this year, and that's um, due to take place at the moment in China in October, mm -hmm. um, and that's the COP. Um, for the UN Convention on Biodiversity. Um, so new global targets for 2030 are expected to be agreed there, a sort of new 2030 global framework. Mm -hmm. And then we'll see how those that sort of global regime is translated into biodiversity policy in Scotland. So the government have committed to um, produce a new biodiversity strategy within 12 months of that COP. Um, and those plans, they're likely to be relevant, again, across a number of policy areas. So, for example, um, areas like agriculture and fisheries policy, but also could be relevant to areas like planning, infrastructure, um, and also how um, the government formulates and how the parliament scrutinizes the the scottish budget um to see how the how the budget supports both uh, nature recovery and net zero thinking back to la the last session of parliament uh, the scottish government set a net zero emissions target what does that mean um yeah so so scotland set its net zero target in 2019 and that was through the, the Parliament passing the, the Climate Change Act 2019, the Climate Change Scotland Act. Um, and that act um, set, set a net zero target for 2045. And, you know, net zero, sort of in a nutshell, means that Scottish emissions need to be reduced to 100% lower than the baseline year, um, which is 1990. Um, and that would be that could be through a combination of both reducing emissions, but also um, removing greenhouse, greenhouse gases from from the atmosphere. Um, but I think it's really worth emphasising the 2030 target as well as the net zero target. 
Um, so we're looking at a really challenging interim target to reduce emissions in Scotland by 75% by 2030. And that sort of really underlines again how important this forthcoming session is in terms of um, how the Parliament holds the government to, you know, to its commitments and plays that sort of wider role um, in civic engagement. Um, but, you know, in terms of the net zero term, you can see that actually has made its way for the first time this session into the, the title of the Cabinet Secretary. Mm. You know, we saw those announcements um, a week or so ago. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a new Cabinet Secretary for uh, net zero energy and transport. Um, so on the Parliament side of things, we don't quite know yet how the how the committees are going to be organised and how they, they're going to link up with the Cabinet remit. So we don't, you know, we might be seeing a net zero committee, um, but we don't know yet. But we, we have started to see in the last couple of sessions um, or in the last few years, much more coordination between the parliamentary committees on climate scrutiny. So on how they look at things like um, the climate change plan. And I think it's just worth sort of reflecting that um, it's sort of understood more now that it can't be the, the job of, you know, a single cabinet minister or a, a single parliamentary committee to, to tackle climate issues. That it's, It is becoming a lot more sort of integrated. Directly related to that, um, in relation to the ministerial appointments following the recent election, we've also seen the first just transition minister appointed in the new government, and this reflects a principle or an approach to the transition to net zero that was embedded in the 2019 Climate Act that Alexa was talking about. Um, I guess recognising that climate policies have real impacts on livelihoods, uh, that Act also sought to embed principles of a just transition into climate policy making. So that means that legally such policy making needs to recognise the importance of reducing emissions in a way which supports sustainable jobs and ultimately helps to address inequality and poverty. It's also notable that the new Minister for Just Transition is located within the economy and finance portfolio rather than the net zero portfolio. So that might indicate a direction of travel in relation to how that transition to net zero is going to be brought into economic strategy, or at least maybe signals that that is the intent. And there's a job for the Parliament to explore these issues and try and unpack uh, these as the, as the session, as session six. Uh, How far have we reduced emissions so far in Scotland? And looking ahead, what are the likely ways the government will look to reduce emissions this parliamentary session? Is there anything that parliamentarians should look out for in particular? Well, um, I mean, there has been progress. So between 1990 and 2018, there was a 45% reduction in emissions, with the most significant progress being made in energy supply. That was about a 70% reduction. So things like uh, new renewables coming on stream, uh, coal-fired power stations um, being decommissioned and so on. However, uh, in many other areas, uh, including agriculture, uh, but in particular transport, we've seen far less progress uh, and indeed emissions reductions have largely stalled. So really, we're still looking at significant and probably uh, disruptive uh, or transformative change needed across most policy areas with decarbonising transport, uh, a key one, but also, uh, again, the issues of energy generation and demand reduction. So looking at buildings, housing, agriculture, food, waste, uh, and developing a more circular economy where, where we waste less. 
Uh, in transport, as an example, an early one to watch, we will be to see how the Scottish Government uh, intends to achieve its 20% reduction in the distance travelled by car, which it promised in the climate change plan, uh, in a route map, which we expect to see published later in 2021. And again, that's one that spies and parliamentary committees will have an eye on. Yeah, I can imagine. That sounds like it could be something that's quite controversial. Yeah, I guess it basically means taking us back to a level last seen in Scotland during 1994 uh, in terms of car travel. Um, Michael Matheson, MSP, who was the Cabinet Secretary for Transport, Infrastructure and Connectivity in the last session, was asked about exactly that in a committee in February this year and suggested that to actually achieve this, uh, the evidence suggested that as well as doing things like improving public transport and active travel, so I guess what we might call the carrot side of the equation, it's probably also the case that car use needs to be made a bit more difficult, so the stick side of the equation. Uh, I guess you can't do one without the other, though. You need to be able to offer alternatives, and this is definitely something that would be of interest to a lot of people. I think I think something to look out for as well in terms of, um, you know, the kind of big climate issues this session is how you know how policymakers respond to those kind of really competing demands of of some of these big challenges so um what are the opportunities to tackle these big issues so climate and nature emergency but also you know we're looking at big challenges around covid recovery and how can these be be tackled in a sort of joined up way um so i suppose it's sort of a a, a really nerdy term actually but but looking for policy coherence um so looking at whether kind of policies or funding or if it's tax incentives are they sort of pulling in the right direction or in the same direction towards net zero um but also not having sort of perverse effects on the environment or on people um so like one of the examples that often comes up is whilst the government's looking to encourage a active travel and, and reduce uh, car journey times like Graham was talking about, mm. is that actually being reflected in sort of the government budget as a whole? Um, you know, how does it sort of, um, uh, how is it reflected if there's still big budgets for road building? How do they all mesh together? Um, or if the government is funding um, you know, committing big tranches of funding to peatland restoration, sort of on the other side are are our sort of existing intact peatlands being being protected adequately. Um, so those are the I think the kind of things that um, Parliament and you know committees will be looking to tackle. Um, like another, I think another um, ex really topical example is what a, a just transition could look like for. The oil and gas sectors in Scotland. Um, so the SNP manifesto um, published before the election, they said that any government support um, for oil and gas in the North Sea in future will be conditional on the industry contributing to a sustainable energy transition. Mm. Um, so it's going to be a really significant test for that for that policy coherence and how Scotland's economic strategy. Um, joins up with the just transition and net zero strategies. That sounds like it will be a big challenge for the government. Um, so where does the parliament fit into this? Well, um, one of the parliament's principal roles is to make the law. So we'll see how these uh, issues are considered in relation to the legislation uh, which is brought forward this session. So just taking a few examples of bills we know about and promised in the SNP manifesto. We may be looking at a circular economy bill, a good food nation bill, and there's also commitment to a wellbeing and sustainable development bill. 
which we'll have to see what the plans uh, are for, but could be looking at how those joined up outcomes that we were just talking about can be baked into how governments and public bodies make decisions uh, or spend money, uh, how, whether their budget commitments align to policy commitments. Uh, one of Parliament's other big functions is scrutiny, which we've talked about a little already, um, but that includes how things like committees scrutinise the government uh, and public bodies to make sure that they're accountable. So there's a key role to play there through session six. Yeah, I think another thing in relation to Parliament's functions is um, it's, its sort of function to give a voice to stakeholders through what it does in terms of its engagement and its outreach. Um, so just during the recent election campaign, there was research, it was um, an Ipsos Murray uh, poll highlighting that um, two thirds of, of citizens think that climate change is as serious as coronavirus. So it's that sort of shows that this is an area where people are really demanding, um, they're demanding action. Um, and during the last session as well, we saw a real notable rise in climate change activism. Um, so there were um, quite large protests and targeted protests and um, also the school strikes for climate action, which became um, called Fridays for the Future, um, a which was a, a globally coordinated movement and happened in, in Scotland as well. Um, and the the Scottish Parliament um, heard from, from young people um, in response to that. Um, the Parliament also held its first um, citizens' jury. Um, they also, they're also called things like citizens' panels or citizens' assemblies, but basically the kind of formats where a group of people from, from right across Scotland, from different communities, are brought together. Um, and in this case, they talked about land management, um, which, of course, is really strongly relevant for both climate change and for biodiversity. Um, and that's a model that's also being used by the Scottish government, um, you know, with quite a high profile one at the moment being the, the Climate Assembly. And these kinds of forums, um, they they give people the sort of time and can um, to consider, discuss issues, and and come to their own sort of considered view as a group and make recommendations, whether that's to Parliament or to government. So it'll be really interesting to see how um, how the the government, for example, responds to the outcomes of the the climate assembly. Um, so I think just in general, that role of the of the public. Public, um, in shaping responses to climate changes is really coming up the agenda. Yeah, it's definitely the case that the Parliament's been uh, grappling, I suppose, with how to take on board the views of individuals, uh, communities, and wider uh, stakeholders on climate change and how those views can be brought to bear in the Parliament's work uh, in making the law and in uh, scrutinising the work of the Scottish Government in agencies. Uh, and I think, I think COP26 um, applies a boost to that activity. So there's work going on behind the scenes in the Scottish Parliament about uh, how voices of those who might not be heard on these issues can be better heard through session six. And we also know that other organisations that we're talking to, whether it be the Children's Parliament, Scottish Youth Parliament, and parliaments from around the world as well, uh, are seeking to engage on these issues with and get different viewpoints too. Um, the Parliament itself will be hosting a legislators' um, summit during the time of COP26, and that will bring together legislators from around the world, either in person or um, remotely, 
and we look forward to that being an opportunity to share ideas on these sorts of things and wider issues too. Uh, we might be doing another podcast or produce other materials on these issues through the year. Yes, I think we, we almost certainly will be. Um, in the previous podcast, we heard a lot about our recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and there's been a lot of talk in media and from politicians about green recovery. What is this and how can it help Scotland tackle this twin crisis? Yeah, the pandemic has led to calls for a green recovery, and I suppose it links back to the just transition concepts that we've been talking about earlier on too. So in a nutshell, the idea of a green recovery is to seek to recover from the impacts of the pandemic and whatever economic strategies that go along with that, but do that in a way that advances Scotland's transition to a low-carbon society and also protects the environment. And I think that also comes with a recognition or perhaps awareness of a risk that economic stimulus packages could, without that explicit aim, slow down that transition or work against it. And this links back to what we were saying before about policy coherence, making sure that different parts of government are aware of the wider uh, ambitions around uh, net zero and the ecological crisis as well. Um, also, um, the UK Climate Change Committee, so this is a statutory advisory body that advises all four governments in the UK, uh, has advised the Scottish Government in particular to use climate investments to support recovery, uh, lead a shift in behaviours, ensure the green recovery doesn't lock in emissions. Yeah, and I think that the pandemic brought a lot of sustainability issues up you know in in public discourse quite naturally and sort of how we live our day-to-day lives so um things like um how we use green space or or sort of fair and or equitable access to green space um was something that that sort of lockdown um seemed to trigger and also things like how transport and infrastructure um, or sort of changes that we've seen in in town centres um, can meet these kind of our sort of changing needs um, in the middle of of COVID restrictions. I think it's also still important um, to mention uh, Brexit or EU exit, um, although we almost got through um, a podcast without talking about Brexit um, as part of that setting um, for the climate and nature emergency response and for a green recovery, um, because EU exit has meant that um, a number of you know really significant policy funding and legal frameworks have have needed to be um, rebuilt. Um, so, for example, the the development of post Brexit approaches to agricultural support or um, fisheries um, and also funding regimes um, in those areas or in areas such as um, green and low carbon infrastructure, which were you know previously sort of um, really tied into EU systems. So, so these are areas that are, I suppose they're under development or in a way they're in flux um, and um, there might be opportunities to make sure that climate change and uh, nature recovery are, are sort of mainstreamed into those processes as well. Is there a reference that the Parliament can use to assess the Scottish Government's progress today? Um, yes, well, of course, 
climate action in Scotland is driven by by our legal emissions reductions targets mm. um, and they measure our progress um, and those are attached to quite a formal sort of governance so uh, monitoring and reporting structures uh, set out in our climate law and um, that climate governance has has evolved quite a lot and that reporting is then scrutinized in the in the Scottish Parliament. Um, I think it's fair to say that governance for nature recovery is maybe less well developed, um, although it is evolving. Um, so the government's been working, for example, on developing sort of better indicators to measure overall trends in biodiversity um, through um, through the sort of overarching um, national performance framework system. Um, but there is, I think, increasing recognition that, you know, the need of the need to mainstream the protection of nature um, into government thinking and planning. And so, you know, we need to be able to measure progress towards that as well. I guess uh, related to that, parliaments around the world have a wider role in ensuring that governments that they're scrutinising deliver on commitments to achieve the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, these aim to provide a shared blueprint for peace and prosperity for people in the planet. A lot of peas there. Um, the Scottish Parliament is committed to using sustainable development as a scrutiny lens. What does that mean? Well, it really involves scrutinising the relationships between social, environmental and economic issues, identifying joined-up solutions, coming back to that policy coherence uh, point that we've talked about before. Um, the Parliament's Conveners Group Session 5 Legacy Report highlighted that sustainable development's wide-reaching in scope and impact and that committees must examine their own practices to help achieve a step change in this area. So there's work for the Parliament to do here. But by doing so, this will help the Parliament meet a duty of Scottish public bodies under the Climate Change uh, Scotland Act 2009 to act sustainably. Uh, behind the scenes in SPICE, we are developing our own sustainable development impact assessment tool to support MSPs and committees in these functions. Um, thanks, Graham and Alexa, for your time there. It sounds like the climate and the ecological emergencies will be a really significant focus of Parliament's time over the next five years. You can read more on this topic in the SPICE team's key issues for session six briefing, and specifically the section on scrutiny in climate and nature emergency. Thank you for listening.